Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, channel pros. Welcome to Channel Journeys. This is your host, Rob Spee. Happy August. Well, the Tour de France is over. I am back from an amazing bike ride across Iowa, Ragbri, and it's time for me to figure out my next adventure. Hope you're having a great summer or winter for those of you listening south of the equator. I want to give a shout out to Allbound, the sponsor of Channel Journeys, for extending their sponsorship. Very cool. If you don't know them, Allbound is the maker of a world-leading partner portal that vendors rely on to manage their diverse partner ecosystems. That includes your dealers, distributors, VARs, agents, as well as OEMs, ISVs, system integrators, and all your modern partner ecosystem partners. Allbound is fast and easy to set up, and their user interface makes it really easy on partners to collaborate on co-selling and co-marketing while they ramp up on training and certifications. Be sure to check them out at allbound.com. Today, I'm speaking with Joe Galemba. He is the VP of Global Ecosystems at Partners at PriceFX. They are a Munich-based pricing software company. And this is a very interesting topic, KPIs, Key Performance Indicators. You're probably already measuring some classic KPIs like partner leads, partner pipeline, partner revenue. But what KPIs should you be measuring to track the performance of a modern partner ecosystem? Are you ready to find out? Let's go. Hey, Joe, good afternoon and welcome to the Channel Journeys podcast. How are you doing? Good, Rob. Good. Thanks for having me. Ah, you're welcome. You're welcome. So where are you hunkered down today? I'm actually working out of my home office in suburb of Chicago. In Chicago. Okay, great. So you're just an hour behind me. So I guess it's still morning. Good morning to you. There you go. Yes, it is. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I was just over in France and uh, trying to figure out when to say bonjour or when not to say it, you know, hoping that I wasn't too late in the afternoon to still say bonjour, but I was just doing what they did. So I, I think I was okay. There you go. Following is, is, is okay, right? <laughs> following keeps you out of trouble. Yeah, like you had to make sure you were saying buenos dias or buenos tardes at the right time, right? Exactly, exactly, yeah. Excellent. Well, great. Welcome to the show. There are a lot of things that I want to talk to you about. We talked earlier, but first off, let's just talk a little bit about, about your company, PriceFX, and what you guys do. And are, are you born in the cloud? Are you a 100% SaaS company, or are you making the transition from on-prem? Yeah, no, we're, we're 100% born in the cloud company. We started about 11 and a half years ago or so out of Germany. Um, th we have three founders, came from both um, pricing solutions background, strategic pricing background, and they noticed that just what was going on in the market didn't fit legacy solutions based mm -hmm. on problems that they saw in the world then, 11 years ago, and where the market was going, both from a, a functional and business perspective, as well as, as technically meaning the cloud. And so you were born in the cloud, and did you start with a subscription model? Yes, we did. You did? Okay. So you're not making the transition that a lot of us are making. You started out there. Correct. And what impact did that have on your partner strategy? Now, you've been there, what, three years? Yeah, three years. So it's interesting because when I joined, we were doing very well as a company, right? So we're selling our, our solution. It's very value-driven. Value 
mm-hmm. but we didn't have a, an ecosystem. And there's, there's a couple impacts to that. One is we didn't have the ability to impact pipeline growth as well as partner assist, right. To help close, close deals. Yeah. Um, but even more important, or at least just as important was the ability to be able to scale in delivering the, the value to our customers, both right. from a time to value perspective and being able to bring other types of skill sets that our professional services organizations, which are, they do a fantastic job. So this is nothing against them, but they're software implementers. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't do change management, for example, or, um, or process reengineering. And those right. are things that, that SIs can bring to the table from an, um, an implementation perspective. Did you have a channel in place when you joined? Was there, there some form of a channel? No, there was, um, uh, I'll say that there was two or three partners that would subcontract to us. Mm-hmm. So more uh, staff augmentation to help our professional services team deliver. But the beauty of that was it gave us the ability to work with those couple of those companies that got spun off into being truly SIs focused on price management and price optimization. Right. So you had the opportunity, though, to really build your partner strategy and ecosystem from scratch. That's correct. And we had to what? do it fast. Because, <laughs> Why was that? Um, well, if you look at where we had you know, good growth going organically, but, but one, no one else in the marketplace, you know, price management, price optimization is a niche market. It's not a, a CRM. It's not an ERP. It's not a co- commerce market and, and the like. Mm-hmm. So historically, pricing solutions in the marketplace did pricing strategy themselves with customers. And then they implemented their technology along with that the strategy that, that came out of that. Mm-hmm. We were looking at it from a different perspective. We weren't looking to do pricing strategy. We were decided we were a software company. So mm-hmm. we needed partners to actually help our prospects, our customers define that, uh, you know, the pricing strategies. So right. we had to find the SKPs, the Banes of the world, you know, to help, you know, define those strategies. So that was really important. Then the other side was, um, how do we actually really scale the growth? SIs can help for sure. Mm-hmm. But there's also looking at hyper accelerators. So the AWS is the SAP, the sales forces of the world. Is there right. a play for them to work with us? We have to integrate with them in some way, shape or form, right? We need their data. At the end of the day, they need our data coming back. Yeah. And so um, how do you play with them? Um, and then we talked about the SI piece, right? So you had three pieces there that were really, really important to be able to bring together. The so other three, piece, you've got the, sorry, Joe, you've got the yeah. SIs, yes. you got the hyperscalers, that's two, but are you also, you, is three kind of the integration partners? Strategy partners. So Strategy partners, right. Sorry. Yeah. Which yep. is a different type of partner. Correct. So they don't okay. do implementations. They are the very uh, strategic partners that are at the, the board level, right? Yeah. The strategic consulting. Level. Correct. Like a Bain. Yeah. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. And then the. The fourth one, which we don't spend, we've got a small program around it today, which is ISVs. Okay. Our thought process is, we've about 13, 14 of those partners. Our thought process was not about needing ISVs to sew us into accounts um, per se. 
because we have very strong retention. We have a 98% retention rate, which is fantastic mm-hmm. in the SaaS space, as you know. So our goal, though, was, is there additional value that other technology companies can bring to our partners by extending the value of our platform? So um, it's, that's still a work in progress. Yeah. Uh, some of the other pieces, I think, are, are starting to work well. Last year, for example, 70% of all net new business had partners engaged in it to help mm-hmm. help us, whether that was um, one partner, uh, maybe was going to do the implementation, or we had a, a number of, of partners that actually helped us with relationships, with coaching, with um, even standing behind us and saying, mm-hmm. these guys are the real deal. Um, right. we, we stand behind you know, the price FX solution. How about resale? Do you have a resale channel as well? We don't, not today, but we have been kicking it around a little bit. Mm-hmm. We've got a great direct sales force. And I mean that very wholeheartedly. They're really good, good salespeople and they work with partners very well. Mm-hmm. So what we've got to do though, is there's parts in the market that we may actually build a, a reseller program for to go after. Mm-hmm. Um, that our direct sales team and maybe more of the traditional um, standard system integrators um, wouldn't focus on. So w- with this set of partners that you have in your ecosystem, and then you had to build a channel team or a partner team to manage them, what did you look for? What, what, what do you have in place to, to manage these partners and to grow that business? Yeah, we have, um, we have some partner managers around the world. Most of them are sitting today in North America and in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, we constantly are evaluating how do we structure the, the org going forward as we continue mm-hmm. to evolve and, and grow. Um, the team has focused on both, uh, well, actually all three, the hyper accelerators, the SIs and strategy partners. But we're starting to get to that size of company and the pull through from the ecosystem of individualizing that or, or segmenting that ourselves of having mm-hmm. individuals responsible for each of those types of partners. Today, they manage all of them. Did you tell me earlier when we were preparing for this that you actually changed the title or you created a different title for these guys? Not, not for them, but we did for, uh, well, actually, I think I did tell you that. Yeah, we changed the title because it, it had an impact. Of, their scope of what they do is just so broad. Mm-hmm. And they handle alliances, right? But they also handle channel sales and building the the pipeline and the like. So we yeah. call them channel alliance managers. And channel alliance, but that was it. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is so funny because you know there's so much talk about merging channels and alliances, and it's really blending. So you just put them both together. Yeah, you're right. It is blending, and it's interesting when you talk to. I'm sure you hear this all the time. You talk to other technology companies like you're doing with me today and to hear how they're evolving is mm-hmm. really intriguing. I can't wait for 10 years from now. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe we'll do it together, but to write <laughs> an article or a book even that actually really explains the change and the yeah. impact that it's had. You know, there's, there's some people out there that, that talk about this being the decade of, of the ecosystem. Yeah. And I like to think that it's always been around. Right, the ecosystem is, has always been around different flavors of it. We called it different things. It's just that next step of, of evolution. But the cool part is, I think, 
that the evolution of it is having such a drastic impact. And it's because of the buyers. The buyer Mm -hmm. journey has changed. They need to move faster. Every partner doesn't need to do everything for that that customer anymore. It doesn't need to have all the answers either. So being able to bring different partners together and partner definition is even evolving, Mm -hmm. right? Some people will tell you that John Doe down the street that really knows B2B and distribution is an influencer or a partner, right? Right. That you should be working with. So it's, it's getting to be really, really interesting and fun. It is. It is. And your partner strategy, you, you gave it a term that I thought was really interesting. The, the bear hug strategy. Yes. Tell everyone what that's all about. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny how it started out. We had a two prong strategy, one on the, on the SI delivery side that we'll touch on, I'm sure in a little bit, but the other side of it was the go to market and sales side, right? Mm-hmm. How do we, you got to sell first before you can deliver is right? always the, the thought process. And originally we started out in the typical uh, three legs of a stool model where we had price effects, we had a hyper accelerator and an SI. That was the, that was our goal, right? For yep. each opportunity. And that started out well. And as we started to learn that, and some of the technologies that came out too, like a cross beam that gives you the opportunity to, to do account mapping really quickly, or more importantly, give our direct sales team the ability to visualize what partners that are ours that are on accounts already, right? Right. So we have this thing called bear hug strategy because we've evolved from the three legs of a stool to being able to want to put our arms around an account, right? As quickly as possible and as collaborative as possible to share information and help each other out. And we do have a number of, of interesting success stories. Uh, maybe I'll just give you a, you know, a couple here because I think they're interesting where, yeah, you know, we had an eight billion dollar distributor of, of building materials. And on that opportunity that, that we won, we had two tier one pricing strategy partners. So the strategy consulting partners yeah. that actually worked with us, knew of each other on the account, but worked with us to help us understand the customer better, mm-hmm. as well as then position our value um, to support their pain points, which was great. Right. We had another one where... It's a $4 billion division of an auto parts company, big, big global auto parts company. We had a hyper accelerator. We had a pricing strategy partner, and we had four global SIs um, engaged in that. Now, the four global SIs were looking to win the implementation business, mm-hmm. but, but they all knew that they were there, yeah. right? And they always know that, so, but they were all willing to, to talk with us, share, and, and help to build the relationship at the account level with us for sure, yeah. but then to also help us, you know, to close the, the deal. So just a couple examples of where that bear hug strategy of getting multiple partners to work together and, and um, put their arms around that account with us yeah. has worked very, very well. Yeah. The numbers of partners is really growing that you've seen an account. And didn't you have a statistic you're tracking how many partners are engaged in each opportunity? We are. Yeah, it's a 
it's still a little bit of a of a fuzzy KPI. Like we don't know what to yeah. set it at. What what's a yeah. good target? But we we are tracking it um, in our CRM, and we're looking at some other potential tools that would give our direct sales team easy access to be able to say, this is the part click. This is the partner that I just talked with. High value add, medium value add, low value add, and maybe a comment, yeah. if appropriate. But to be able to gather that data, because the data is just potentially so important to where we invest our time. And in talking with partners, being we're, we're very open and direct, sharing that information with them about the value that they're bringing to our us and to uh, our joint customers. Yeah, that's an area that I wanted to hone in on, Joe, because you obviously yeah. are very data-driven. What what got you to that place where data is so important to you and in, in managing in your partner business? Yeah, I think it's a couple pieces. One by by education and early trade, I was in finance, okay. so I was always a, a numbers guy in that regard. A lot of spreadsheets and foreign exchange and cash management and and all that that good stuff. So my mind thinks that way. Mm-hmm. But first and foremost, at least here at PriceFX, we are a completely data driven company. Data is really important to everybody um, in the company, no matter what what your role is. So that's mm-hmm. one, one piece. The second piece, though, is we as an ecosystem team, I look at it as if we own three businesses or impact three businesses. And that one is the company, right? Mm-hmm. We owe it to our shareholders to understand our business and be able to make the best decisions we can within that context of the entire business. Yep. Secondly is the global ecosystem business. Um, We all on the ecosystem team have responsibility for understanding that business, what's impacting it, what trends are going in the right way, what are not going in the right way, and how do we influence that. And then the last one, every channel alliance manager has their own franchise, if you will, right? Their Mm -hmm. own set of partners that they work with and they manage. And so they have to understand their business as well at that level. So the only way you could do that is to create, define specific KPIs, define them and be able to report on them via dashboards and obviously drill down reporting that we do in our CRM. Um, And then to actively talk about that on a very ongoing basis, because out of all the things we do, and there's a lot of things that you know, Channel Alliance team, is, as you know, gets gets tasked with doing or expected to do, even though maybe mm-hmm. we don't expect to do it. But it's really to help on the sales velocity side. So I would say that the majority, if not all CROs and regional sales executives are looking at that sales velocity, right? How can they pull, how, how can they move deals through the, their pipeline successfully, right? Mm-hmm. The, the faster, the better. So, you know, looking at how we can impact that, right? The the number of closed opportunities. Can we impact that? Can we impact the average average deal size? Can we impact our win rate or the length of the sales cycle? Right. All the key elements of of the formula for for sales velocity, I would argue that the ecosystem has an opportunity to impact. We don't always mm-hmm. do it, right? right? A lot of factors as you don't go into that. But measuring that and being able to um, understand the key levers where appropriate, not just as a 
franchise being a channel alliance manager in their business, but even down to a partner, right? And understanding what they're doing really well or not so that mm-hmm. you can work together collaboratively. Cause we may not be, we may be blocking them on things too and not doing our job mm-hmm. that we need to fix. So it gives us that ability to talk about the data with our partner that at the end of the day, I think allows us to, to not talk about fuzzy things, but talk about things that get tied to results. Mm-hmm. Are there other KPIs, metrics that you're measuring now uh, with your ecosystem? And, and you know, you've got SIs and other partners who are doing non-transaction type work. How are you, what kind of KPIs are you setting for that part of the business? Yeah, that part of the business is interesting because we're trying to find the right balance between mm-hmm. what implementations we price effects professional services own and do versus part, you know, partners, the SIs. So I'd be lying to you if I told you we, we had that figured out. So it's a, it's an, uh, an evolving. I think it's something we're, we're all trying we're all to figure it out, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but that's really the key. One of the key measures, if not the key measure is if you think about three years ago, we didn't have really any partners doing implementations. Yeah. Um, today, just as of last month, we were at about 50% of all projects are done by partners versus done by um, ourselves. Yeah. Is that a healthy mix? Maybe. But I think other factors come in uh, as well. Are there global rollouts? And who's best capable of handling that? And then back to some of the other things, change management, process reengineering. Um, is it tied to a bigger initiative? Mm-hmm. So is pricing tied to a migration of an ERP system that's been on-premise historically to a a cloud version. Can we impact the cost of that? I would argue, yes, we could actually help pay for that by implementing a a price management and optimization um, solution. Mm -hmm. Um, That's another podcast for another day. Yeah. Uh, Right. But the, um, so the KPIs though, obviously it's, are we doing more of the implementations with partners or not? What type of those implementations? Are they global rollouts? Are they more regional, business unit-based? And then what's the quality? Are customers just as happy with a partner versus our team and vice versa? Because at the end of the day, it still comes down to customer, customer, customer. So if the customer is happy and satisfied, obviously both the partner and price effects are, are happy and satisfied. Have you started measuring that, you know, like the net promoter score, for example, or, or customer satisfaction on those partner delivered projects? We do do net promoter score for sure as a, as a company. There's mm-hmm. QBRs that we do with our, our top um, customers as well. I'll say roughly top half that we do that with. So we do capture some of it. And some of that net promoter score does capture um, some questions on, on partner implementations, but I don't think we were there yet as to what are the, the real specific questions that we need to ask that will, will move the needle. And what I mean by that is that the customer feels is important and that we can impact in either making better going forward or to keep doing what we're doing, right? Depending yeah. on what's going on. Are there any aspects of the business that you're still trying to figure out how to measure the impact, you know, trying to find that KPI or metric? Man, that's a really good question. 
I think like with, with anything for me, it's trends. You can't always get trends mm-hmm. um, out of the CRMs at least. So you have to dump it out. And, and so that becomes a little messy. And we're, we're working on a, on a solution that we've got part of it figured out offline into um, um, a data warehouse. But the, I think the other thing that we don't look at enough is duration. And in today's world, because everything is moving so fast, mm-hmm. how much time does it take between a lead popping up in our partner portal versus a decision being made by us if that's an opportunity or not? Mm-hmm. To me, that's really important because customers demand it. I mean, they're waiting, right? They're, they want action. Yeah. And yet our partners deserve the respect to respond to them in a timely manner. Right. And sometimes we do that really well. And other times um, we could definitely be better at it. Yeah. I think that's a super important one that you really have to keep your eye on constantly because it can, you can, you can shrink it down. You got it down into a nice, comfortable time frame, and then you take your eyes off and and it's mushroomed and ballooned again to some very unacceptable time frame. Yes, absolutely. And we've got that captured in, in a dashboard. And it's like anything, though, is making sure it's focus. Yep, exactly. How about partner influence? That's that's another tough one that people struggle with. Of how do you actually measure that influence? At the end of the day, we're I would say soft on that. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is, legacy wise, it was always a partner needed to do X, Y, and Z to be able to say that they influenced it. Just like some years ago. All I heard about was what opportunities were coming from partners. Mm-hmm. And today it's much more of a win-win, right? We have to build a business together. And that means we have to bring opportunities to them as well. But as yeah. long as a partner helps us in any way that has value to our direct sales team, we count that as, as influence. Mm-hmm. Is the partner always getting compensated for that influence or are there no. influencers who they might get the services or other things, but there's no direct compensation? That's exactly right. It could become really messy if we were paying all partners for influence. You had four or five partners on an opportunity. Yeah. Yep. So our, our model is if a partner brings us a lead and we close it together, there is a compensation component for them. And it could be either direct pay, it could be market development funds. If a partner is is working with us on an account, our AE reaches out to them, our ecosystem channel alliance manager reaches out, they don't get anything for it. The the Mm -hmm. goal is to help them get some form of services or other part of the business, you know, there for their compensation, if you will. Right. No, makes sense. What, what types of systems do you have in place for tracking all these different metrics? You mentioned Crossbeam, which I'm familiar with. is a great yeah. account mapping tool. What, what else do you have in place? It's really that, and it's our CRM. That's it. Okay. Um, today. That's it. We, um, yeah, we keep it simple, and it's got a lot of advantages of that because we have all of our dashboards in one place. Having the um, Crossbeam, I think too many people think of it as a standalone cloud-based account mapping solution. They do have a nice application that actually fits in some CRMs. Mm -hmm. And so you get that visibility real time, depending on it's the data coming in from your partners, right? What are they willing to share? And we don't have them sharing a lot, to be be honest with you, Rob. They share their 
customer name and a customer URL. Mm-hmm. That's all we need to know because all we're yeah. trying to look for is a potential overlap or connection right. point. And yeah. then we can go have the, do the little bit more of the heavy lifting, if you will, and, and starting to have the, the discussions. Yeah. And then in your CRM, the rep can see, hey, these four partners actually, it's their customer too, or it's a, yes. our prospect, right? So now we can go see what relationships they have and, and exactly. how we can help. Yeah. yeah. And we can actually point out in the CrossBeam app, um, as long as the, the partner enters the, the data this way, what is a customer? So um, is it a customer of theirs? Is it a prospect of theirs? Right. Um, or is it a target of theirs? Yeah. So that gives our account executive real-time information or near real-time information as to what type of, theoretically, what type of relationship they have. Yeah. May not be a good one if, the, if their implementation that they did or implementations didn't go well. Um, but we always, which I think all of us in the, in the channel um, ecosystem space always look for the positive side. We know that That's they right. did well. Let's go talk with them and see what we can do. Yeah. And it sure beats trying to manipulate all the spreadsheets of all those different partners' accounts and everything. It's absolutely. Yeah. We actually did um, a quick little study on it. I mean, we would, with some of the, the bigger partners, it could take us six, seven, eight weeks before you with the spreadsheets going back and everyone being able to take time on it. And now just by, by integrating in the, in the cross beam, it, it can happen within a day or two. Yeah. Yeah. We decided great to do time it saver. Yeah. There was another element of your partner strategy that we missed um, that you mentioned to me earlier, the hub and spoke, I think you called it. Yes. Yeah. What is that? Sure. So that has to do with, so the pricing space is um, it's a niche market, right? So you're not going to have the same volume of people out in the market that have pricing experience, hands-on experience, and actually mm-hmm. defining strategy, setting price, defining rebate strategies, those kind of things, nor implementing technology. There's just not a lot of those individuals out there. So what do you do? Do you um, give up on trying to create an ecosystem right in the space, or do you get partners actually working together? And that's mm-hmm. what we did from the go. We, we recognized it right away. We had a, you know, define the right partner profile. You know, what were you looking for in, in partners? And one of the key elements was the willingness to partner with other partners. Mm-hmm. And I think those at the, I'll say more at the regional SI level, are really open to doing that. Global SIs, I think it depends who you're working with. Not so much meaning what partner that is, but what individual within that organization yes. or how it can vary out. It can vary a lot. Exactly. But so the hub and spoke is is really it's it's almost like an integrated web of partners supporting partners. Someone may have excess project managers on the bench um, for a given um, project that they're going to go in, and they may actually have integrators. So they may have people that can actually do the integration with the ERP, CRM, commerce engine. But maybe they're missing a, a pricing specialist, right? Mm-hmm. Someone that has the business analyst skills that can can help do some of the mapping and 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 the configuration. And so they may reach out to another partner. And so we've built some of this into our partner portal that we continue to invest in to get partners reaching out to partners and asking for, do you have this type of resource, this type of help? Mm. I think it's interesting. I think in the in the cloud space. In general, we're going to see more and more of that, no matter if it's a niche market or if it's a bigger market. 
Mm-hmm. Why would consulting companies want to go and build out big practices and big benches if they don't need to, depending mm-hmm. on the softness, which everybody feels. I'm, a, I'm an ex-consultant back in my, my PwC days where there was softness in the market from time to time. Mm-hmm. And you had people on the bench. And so you had to figure out ways to get them busy, whether that was on a different technology or, or project or doing something internally. And this way, even though that work is still important, what we can do is look at um, getting partners to um, leverage each other, subcontract to each other more aggressively than maybe they have in the past, which would um, improve margins, I believe, drastically for them and deliver better value potentially to our own customers. Yeah. So in the hub and smoke, hub and spoke analogy, do you see PriceFX as the hub and the spoke as all these different partners? Or do you actually have partners who are maybe have greater competencies that become hubs for you evolution but yes we we started out as being in the center of that yeah um, and then think there's been i'll make up a number but let's say there's 10 partners around that um, yeah. and we were subbing to them we have what's called expert services that actually supports partners now we've had a handful of those partners that have stepped up to become their own hub yeah, And now there's other partners that are coming in and partnering with them, maybe still with us or in another partner, right? right? So it's starting to have that network effect. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. That's, that's certainly what we're trying to drive. That was one of the things we were pushing for and talking about in the partner advisory board we just did. Mm-hmm. And partners were making connections at the event even. And it's like, oh, I didn't know you did that. We've been looking for someone like you. Nice. Yeah. yeah it, it, and this is what I'm, I'm so hopeful that now that um, we're getting to meet face-to-face again, one, it's a great feeling like we were talking earlier, right? It's just great to be able to, to see people sit across that, the table from everyone. But it's that personal interaction and relationship development, not virtually, which is still good, but to also at times meet face-to-face. It's amazing. It's like going into the office. Um, I don't go in the office very often. But when I do, I'm always surprised that I go to grab a cup of coffee. You run into to, you know someone you know from the company. You talk about something. Either mm-hmm. you learn something, or you decided that hey, we're going to go do something together, right? To solve yeah. some problem. So it's it's goodness all around. Yeah, and I noticed doing a team meeting over in Europe, and then the partner advisory board in Monaco. People are just craving that interaction. You could just tell, you know, we were all so happy to be yeah. together to and to start. And the way that you could see the way the relationships were building, even though we've been talking on the phone for the last year, yeah. you know, it was just exponential relationship growth being there face to face. I can only imagine that. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's the um, I was talking to someone recently that virtually seems like there's more meetings on the calendar and it's business, 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 which is yeah. why we're getting. That's why we work. Mm-hmm. But that interaction of trying to take time out the beginning of a meeting, actually like you and I did today, just to catch up personally for five minutes, really goes a long way over the long term. Yeah, it sure does. So you you mentioned a financial background. I was was checking out your LinkedIn profile. You've had an interesting career kind of in and out of the channel. How how did you get to the channel in the first place from the finance background? Yeah, it, it was interesting. I was back in industry and I've always had, I've always been inspired by technology. I just found mm-hmm. it to be really intriguing. Yeah. Um, and I may not, I may not be as young as I look. He says tongue in cheek, but you know, technology was really start 
starting to get legs under it when I was coming out of school. And so I was in finance. The company that I was at was trying to do an SAP implementation back in the day in our, in our three mm-hmm. implementation. And it, they were struggling with it. And me being a, an individual that, that talked about technology and tried to influence technology decisions in, in our finance organization was asked by our CFO to um, engage in it. He said, Joe, you understand our business. You understand, seems you understand technology enough. Why don't you see if you can help? And I took it over the project. They asked me to take over the project management aspect of it. Long story short, we consolidated like 62 companies globally into, into SAP. So at the mm-hmm. time, it was, a, it was a pretty big deal. And I ended up going over to Pricewaterhouse at the time because they were our auditors. And they said, we're looking for people like you. You want to come over? Which was great. I love, actually, I loved Pricewaterhouse, PricewaterhouseCoopers after the, the merger. Just a fantastic mm-hmm. company. But I ended up, after some years of doing implementations on the SAP side, was asked to create the enterprise content management practice within the firm. And you needed partners, right? You needed technology mm-hmm. companies to go implement. And so I, I just engaged. I love that so much. And I've carried it through the rest of my career, whether I was building ecosystems or, or channels mm-hmm. or um, being in product management at Oracle. I've always wanted to help partners and big believer that bringing partners into your business model and vice versa does nothing but, you know, one plus one equals three. Yeah. In your current role, now that you've, you know, had your career in different roles, what do you think is some of the most important traits for being a leader of partner ecosystems? Wow. That's a good question. I guess I would start first and foremost, trust, right? Trust and openness. Yeah. Uh, I think if, if you are seen as trustworthy and seen as, as being open and honest and collaborative, you can solve all problems. And people rally around the trust part. Forget mm-hmm. about Joe Galombo, but the overall trust part, right? Because that, that they feel that they can do anything and, and run hard and fast and fail quickly, whether it's internally or, or partners as well, right? Because we're all driving in the same direction. So I think that's really, really important. The data aspect, right? Understanding mm-hmm. your business, knowing your business. And that I think is, is really important. And then for me, it's about, I don't know if this is really a trait, but maybe it's it's my personality of, I believe, leaders in the channel that roll up their sleeves mm-hmm. um, and engage with both feet in, no matter what, what it is, um, is important because it shows mm-hmm. dedication to the partners in the ecosystem. I hope it shows the sales, your sales team, as well as your, your partners in crime and the ecosystem team, um, that you're all in this together, right? You want to do yeah. the right thing that's best for the company and best for our partners and the customers. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I call it servant leadership being, I like that being willing to be out there. You're kind of leading by doing many times, just jumping in with the team. Absolutely. Absolutely. I like that. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, how about outside the channel? What, what kind of hobbies do you have? What do you like to do? Yeah. I'm a big music guy, though. I play no instruments and my wife would tell you, don't ever ask me to sing. It's horrible. (laughs) 
but I love, you're a pro, love music. You're a pro at listening to music. There you go. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. I'm, but I'm also a big sports fan. Um, you name the sport, I'm into it. I played hockey for ice hockey for 12 years. So I was a goalie. And I still, to this day, believe my dad, who pushed me, pushed me pretty hard in, in my hockey days. I was a goalie. Mm-hmm. But I think that really influenced who I became as an adult and how I, I work each day and how I, I treat people. I'm a big believer that you win and lose as a team. Mm-hmm. I just refuse to lose. So, of yeah. course, we're going to win, right? So, how as a team do we do that? Really, really important. But any sport, want to go golfing? Let's go golfing. Want to go see a basketball game, tennis, whatever it is, I'm in. Now, you didn't just play hockey. You actually tried out for the Olympics, right? Close. I was. Close? I had an a offer to try out for the Olympics. You had an offer. Okay. But then there was an injury or something that happened? Yeah. I am um, about three or four weeks or so before the Olympic tryouts. Oh, man. Uh, I had made a save. I was playing uh, what we call rat hockey, which is a, a bunch of guys. I made a save. I was in a kneeling position, and someone kind of got pushed over on me. And I tore ligaments in both my knees. So I, I always joke about it because um, I've had a few friends that made it into, into the pros, one of them being Eddie Olchek, who played for the Blackhawks, Rangers, mm-hmm. Toronto Maple Leafs, but does color commentary for this, to this day for mm-hmm. the Blackhawks and for the National Hockey League uh, Network. Um, and I always joke that you know he's always gotten a chance to have fun in his life, and I've had to work for a living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just imagine. I'm sure you have occasionally sit back and thought, what what if? Yeah, I have, to be honest. But at the end of the day, things happen. I believe things happen for a reason and no regrets. Just looking forward. Nope. Absolutely. Nope. You always make the best of whatever direction life takes us in. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, any last thoughts, Joe? Any advice for the Channel Journeys listeners? I think... The only thing I, I would say is data is really important, right? You can make a case if you've got the right answers in your data. So yeah. Keep that front and center. And in companies, it's hard sometimes to get everyone to understand what we're trying to do and the value that we bring, but don't give up and allow your partners and your customers to tell your story. Mm-hmm. Um to the rest of to the, whether it's the sales team, the exec, senior executive team, don't you don't have to tell the story yourself. You don't have to convince people. Let let the market tell the story for you. Yeah, and your partners. Yeah, exactly. great advice. Great advice. All right, Joe. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for sharing your your thoughts on that topic and data being data driven. Fantastic stuff. And I wish you the the best of luck on the rest of your journey this year. Thanks, Rob. You too. All right. Cheers. Cheers. All right, guys, there you have it. Some great advice on KPIs, as well as a confirmation that we need to expect to see multiple partners in any given opportunity, any given account. I really love Joe's bear hug strategy and plan to use it at Beyond Trust. Thank you for listening today. Thanks again to our sponsor, Allbound. Allbound has best-in-class reviews for user experience, ease of use, and customer support. If you're looking for an easier way to manage your partner ecosystem, from deal registration to tracking partner opportunities and providing the right discounts and commissions and incentives, be sure to check them out at allbound.com. For today's show notes, just go to channeljourneys.com slash CJ94. You can subscribe while you're there. If you enjoyed the program, please, please take a few minutes, leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. 
that will really help us expand the audience of Channel Journeys. Next episode, I've got a really special guest. Don't miss it. Until then, have an awesome Channel Journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.